0: Today, we take our discussions about Apache Flink one step further with an opportunity to dive into not only another invaluable perspective of its history, but also with an intro to its newest API, Stateful Functions, with Flink co-creator and Viverica CTO, Stefan Ewen on this episode of Aventador Streams, a podcast about all things streaming data. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Aventador Streams. Today, Kenny and I are joined by a person who really needs no introduction to this audience, but we will introduce him anyway. Stefan Yuen of Viverica, and also one of the original creators of Apache Flink, is on the line with us. Stefan, how are you?
1: Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I'm well, how are you?
0: Doing well, doing well. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm yeah, excited Anna. to
1: have you. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here too.
0: Awesome. Super excited. Our listeners obviously are very interested in Flink. A lot of people who are using it, thinking about using it, and would be really excited to hear from you. And why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of your history, how you got started with what was then, I believe, called, if I remember correctly, Stratosphere, into Apache Flink. And I know that's a very broad topic, but let's hit some of the high points and then we can dive in from there.
1: The whole thing started probably... I think you can go back pretty 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 far, actually, more than ten years, if you wish. So during during my studies, I've had worked a lot on, on on database technology. So most of my internships were in that area. I started doing a PhD in the university in Berlin, and and my advisor basically he also came from database background. Um, and it was the it was the area when when Hadoop just started to become big. And the the topic very broadly was let's try and look at something that. Like built a hybrid of of mapreduce and, and database technology, and kind of that's how we okay. started out. That was the origin of the of the Stratosphere project. You could actually see that a lot of the stuff that we developed that day, parts of what is still in Flinks actually very much inspired by like all the database work we did before, like the. The concepts um, for for memory management, which still form like the basis of a lot of the batch processing operations. If you look at the data set API in Flink, it has the concept of like a lightweight optimizer and so on. And they're like it's all that's all very very database technology style. And yeah, that was our research project in the in the university, basically trying to to figure out how these things could could go together well. After this after this all was done, we we had this interesting system that 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 could do some some impressive use cases, the system stratosphere. I mean it was obviously nowhere near production usable or so because it was a university research prototype, but it was just too interesting to actually just drop and and, and move on. Yeah, we we thought let's let us let let's build let's build something like real out of it. Um and we founded a company, tried to get some some um, startup seed funding. And um see see where we could take it. And the, the initial use cases we actually had in mind were uh were very much like batch processing uh use cases, a bit of machine learning, graph processing and so on, but a lot of batch data analytics actually, because that was yeah. that was what everybody was doing back then. And I think like a few months into this we started we started discovering the stream processing use cases, partly through through actually this collaboration also with Martin and, and Gula. Who we had worked with already together at the university. So they were they were they were looking into stream processing use cases. And interestingly, Stratosphere used to be a a decent match for that actually, because the underlying yeah. engine used to do a lot of streaming other than it like it, it used to do maybe we should say pipelining. Um mm-hmm. in contrast to to other um other data processors. So it, it actually was an interestingly, it was a, a surprisingly well-matching foundation to try and do streaming data analytics. Had some some very interesting properties that that you also couldn't get from systems like Storm even these days. And um yeah, I mean there was obviously a lot missing. Like it didn't have any idea of, of fault tolerance for streaming, like no checkpointing and so on. But like after we after we we saw that like this is a surprisingly good match um this technology that we've built there, uh, we should we should actually put more emphasis on this. And um yeah that's I think that's how it how it came to be then. Once we once we saw that that there's really a uh, a niche that is yet not not really yet conquered. That's that's exactly what you're looking for as a startup, right? Um, right? Like a really good stream processor didn't didn't exist.
2: You know that's that's interesting about the um about checkpointing because and the database foundation for that because that was one of the things that when we looked at it, obviously being from a database background, that computed for us, right? We were we thought, oh, you know, checkpoints have you know it looked like more like a recovery log. For a traditional database, then it looked like a stream processing system, you know, at that point. And we thought, oh, I, I totally get this. And I understand why checkpoints are important. And boy, wouldn't it be cool if we could save point two. Oh, you can. You know, that kind of thing. So interesting mm-hmm. to hear the kind of the history behind those bits is, is being steeped in database engineering.
1: I would say 50 fifty-fifty, to be honest. The um I mean this notion of 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 checkpoints as a way to to store the materialized view over the transaction log and then being able to truncate the transaction log that's that's a pretty it's pretty close analogy for what what flink is doing right if you think of Mm -hmm. uh, of a system like like kafka being the uh, the transaction log is the input and then flink computes the tables and so on over that and then a checkpoint so it can like acknowledge back and discard the data from the transaction log that that's that's what it does we Interestingly, that that was not the way we first came up with this idea. The way we actually came up with this idea originally was, um, or at least from my side, was very much inspired by by the work on another system I was I was actually studying during my PhD. It's, um, it's a machine learning system. Back then, it it used to be kind of famous. I don't think it really exists much anymore. It was called GraphLab, distributed GraphLab. I think it was mm-hmm. a Berkeley research um, project. Mm-hmm. So they were they were doing distributed machine learning based on yeah as the name says like graph representations of the data, um, and they they could do some very interesting things. It's, they were very 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 fast, and there was one paper where they said okay we, we try to do distributed fault tolerance here, and we're we're picking shandy Lampard snapshots to implement that. Mm-hmm. I mean they came to the conclusion that restarts are faster than fault tolerance for them like in their project, but the, that was the first time I actually looked at uh, at this. Like Chandy-Lampert snapshots for systems that actually do asynchronous messaging. I was trying to actually implement a version of, of iterations in, in Flink's batch API that was doing uh, completely asynchronous processing because that's, that's actually quite quite efficient for certain for certain uh, algorithms. Yeah, we're trying to, to look at ways to get that um, that fault tolerant, recoverable, or even to to figure out when <laughs> when such a distributed asynchronous algorithm has terminated. And I was trying to apply this uh, the snapshot algorithm, Charlie Lumford snapshots, to that problem. And then when um, when we had this discussion about how could we actually make stream processing fault tolerant, that, that was the first thing that, that I was reminded of. I like, have been just been looking at this at this interesting approach to distributed asynchronous iterations. Like, couldn't that actually be applied here as well for for streaming fault tolerance? And then and then yeah, later we we actually found yeah, it's actually it's a really good match because it's it's exactly that compaction of, of transaction lock and materialized huh. state that's, that's how it kind of came together from these two dimensions i would say
2: that's very cool yeah i you know i know it's one of the especially early on it was one of the massively you know distinguishing features of flink um, and it really worked pretty well even early on um, especially in a production sense you know if you're we were ingesting twitter feeds and we were doing that at scale and for whatever reason, mostly our fault, we we kept having problems. And the re- <laughs> the recoverability and restartability, you know, of Flink was, was super important for us at that point, but just because we'd get behind so bad. And just being able to kind of catch up and get back to the processing task at hand. I mean, that's something we couldn't really seem to get working on Storm the same way. So that was like an early epiphany around Flink, at least for us. Interesting that we're kind of understanding kind of where it came from.
1: I think there's something something beautiful about that idea of of take, taking these these asynchronous snapshots, like doing this lightweight way of, if you wish, like observing the data as it flows, and then understanding at the right point in time when to just draw a consistent background copy of the state. It's it's a surprisingly simple thing once you understand it. There's a, there's a few like there's a few elements you need to like okay. rock, but once you have that. So it's it's surprisingly straightforward way to think about it, and I mean, of course, it has its subtleties in the implementation here and there. You need to you, know, you need to make sure that you call into RocksDB the right way to not like add or lose one one record here or there. But it's it's there's been very few like foundational issues around that algorithm. Like yeah, it's it's actually we've been very happy with the choice as well.
2: And and RocksDB has been great too. I mean, the the notion that RocksDB kind of went through this rise, you know, that even went back, you know, I want to say, I don't know, even like 2010, 11, 12, and maybe my memory is misserving me, but RocksDB was starting to kind of come up then. I remember in the manga world, RocksDB engine was kind of becoming a thing. Yeah. Um The folks at That's Facebook. Too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, it just became this like very, very good. multi-purpose, you know, very simplistic API and, and reliable and,
1: it seemed to fit into a lot of use cases like that. Exactly, and it it has this. It is a surprisingly good match with this checkpointing algorithm because what actually RocksDB does underneath the hood is it's actually very similar, right? It has its um, its transaction log that it appends to, and then you know it has the mem table, which is basically a buffer for the like the materialized representation, which it then which is then persists and then truncates the the log again. So on the fling side, we we basically we don't need the log because the the surrounding side basically replaces that but this this notion of yeah of materializing basically snapshot views of the data up to a certain point which is this this notion um that RocksDB has or it's a concept of this log structured merge tree all um, right i was just going to say
2: lsm trees exactly
1: yeah it's a property of these lsm trees yeah it, it just fits very well with a, with a checkpoint algorithm. And like this notions of snapshots and checkpoints that Flink has, like RocksDB has almost a matching equivalent of both of them.
2: And that came from LevelDB, I think, right? Like way back when. Exactly, yeah. Interesting.
0: Let's dive in a little bit on Flink as it is today with some of the the cool things that I know that you guys have both in 1.10, which is the latest stable release, but I know 1.11 is coming up. There's a lot of really great work, especially in the last... Few years into these releases, with some really cool features and API updates and, and all of those things. So, talk to us a little bit about Flink as it stands today and some of the the things that you're excited about with it.
1: I could could even take a step back and maybe look a bit at what were the like the trends that Flink was going through in in, in each year. I think for a while after you know after the whole streaming concept had been introduced, after the first version of checkpoints had been introduced. There's a lot of focus on just actually making making streaming use cases work and build build the the right API tools and so on around it. So that that was when we incorporated a lot of the concepts from from Dataflow like event time watermarks, different types of uh, of state timers, asynchronous process functions, and so on. Um, just the the tools that, that 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 you need to develop most of the most of the use cases. At some point there was. A shift more towards like operational aspects, um, metrics, security, state evolution took actually quite a bit of time. So that, that it still it still is um, is something that that adds overhead in each release. Like making sure we keep snapshots of most of the um, of the save point and operator state formats from previous releases, and we have tests to see that we can resume them in new releases, so that there's hmm. an upgrade forward always that became a big focus then at some point i think when we when we're just about hitting this point when when we thought okay now now we actually have streaming more or less stable here figured out um and we have the most important things in place then came the point when when alibaba acquired the their company back then did artisans yeah. mm-hmm. and what, what they actually brought in was this um, massive work on the batch processing and and, and sql side right so so sql flink was also doing sql before but but not in not in the same capacity and also way more focused on the on the streaming side and um alibaba really brought in a lot of uh, a lot of stuff on on both the batch processing side and yeah also just vastly expanded the scope of, of streaming sql and that that actually i would say was a very big big part of of the 2019 work right there was it was all this amazing technology, but it was in a fork, and trying right. to like to make this available to the public by contributing to the open source, and it it basically resulted in. In, in rewriting big parts of the scheduler, in big parts of rewriting big parts of the table API, and like adding a completely new SQL query engine, I think this part is—you you can almost say—it's—it's it's only now even complete in the in the 111 release. I think the 111 release finally has Blink SQL query engine as the default one. It's—it's it's concluded the entire type type inference system. It has all the catalog integrations. It has the the data format integrations that we wanted to have um it has this this notion of being able to consume change data capture streams and and all of that on the SQL side. So that that was a that was a very big part that yeah I would say was was fairly dominant throughout 2019. And in the I think in the end of 2019 we when we actually saw that like certain parts of the community were were pretty much done with the with the with the batch processing work. We also went went back to, to stream the stream processing side of things. And when one one part of this is you can say the stateful functions work, and the other part of that is basically the next level of um, or next next level of streaming fault tolerance, which um, which we started to work on. And you can see the first part in the in the one eleven release um, in the form of unaligned checkpoints, which mm. I think on the streaming side might be the biggest change since we introduced um, actually the. The whole idea of checkpoints.
2: Stefan, when you guys were acquired, did you kind of see that train coming? Where you like, okay, so I can see that the next step is going to be, you know, integrating the fork from Alibaba. How much work was that? It sounds like you just touched on it briefly. It sounds like that was a lot of work, uh, especially around SQL. Was was that something you guys kind of knew going in when you were discussing things with them? Where you are like, oh boy, this is going to be a lot of work, but it should be like, was that
1: something that you guys were excited about? I mean, excited about definitely. It was, it was, I think one of the, Like one of the reasons for the end deciding to do it, right? This it's not an easy decision to to think about. Uh, The idea of saying, okay, this is really a way to to strengthen the whole open source project to yeah to 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 give it access to this to all this work that has been done to gain like a lot more corporate support for it that was yeah that 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 actually helped making this decision definitely big time and i honestly of like like always you underestimate the effort that these things (laughs) initially we thought sure yeah we just you know we, we we built an an abstraction here you can change this query query engine with that query engine and then and, and you just plug it'll it it'll be in. easy yeah <laughs> yeah and yeah of course it it always turns out quite different and you you could actually see that a lot of stuff in the in in the blink fork was like written let's say particularly for this specific environment that alibaba cloud and their like their internal production setups have Um, mm. they have yeah they they just have certain assumptions they could make that that allowed to make certain opinionated choices in the implementation that you can't just usually make when when you're developing an open source system that's supposed to right. run on a hundred different setups and so on. So it wasn't
2: abstract enough to be used by the general public. It was it was specific to their use cases in the most part, is what you're saying.
1: Some of the stuff, yeah. So so there was there was a lot of like also like redeveloping of features, not just merging features, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and that part that part also took took a, a big amount of time and they've been a great sponsor of it so far right like i mean as
2: far as you know we can tell it looks like they've really doubled down on flink and uh, you know the community is thriving and the contributions are up it seems like really you know that was a that was a big uh, in, in, uh, influx of energy into the project when when that acquisition happened and and kind of their continued support
1: yeah i think i think that's i think that's true yeah so um it it did turn out well all in all i think we can say that in hindsight yeah that's cool absolutely
0: Well, and something that I know we want to dive into on this is Stateful Functions. We've had the wonderful opportunity to talk a lot about Flink with some of the guests that we've had on the podcast, but we haven't yet had somebody that can really talk about Stateful Functions, what they are, why they were developed, and kind of what the trajectory for those is going to be.
2: Yeah. Like we need to, I think the audience would love to hear where your head was at when you decided that Stateful Functions needed to be a thing like compare and contrast that with Flink and help us kind of take us with you, you know, through that, through that period where you're, where you thinking evolved and, and you finally ended up saying like, we got to, we got to go build stateful functions. What is, what does that look like from your perspective?
1: I think like, like all things, the, the, it wasn't super straight path. Um, it wasn't a master plan that we, that we hatched out for two years. And it, it all started with this, um, with this realization that, there's there's a big overlap between um, stream processing for you know the way stream processing works for for real data processing and and what what like reactive event-driven applications do. There's there's quite a bit of of of, of commonality between those two. There's it's in some sense I always thought stream processing you can think about it as as as, as a very extreme form of reactive processing, or so, or reactive applications, and I, th- I think you can see this in, in different parts of the ecosystem. You can see this in in the fact that, for example, Akka is an actor system for event driven application. Also, um, mm-hmm. layers of streaming API on top of that. You can see that from the fact that there are actually users that that used Flink to yeah to power. Microservices that back a social network and so on. So you can you can kind of see on the one side the the, the event driven applications try to do stream processing. The stream processors try to you know be the backends for event driven microservices. And yeah, so there's 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 obviously something there. Um, the these these two ecosystems have have an have an overlap. And, and in some sense, Step Functions was uh, was an attempt to to try and, and build something for this place in between in between the two or yeah, maybe even as, as a way to make stream processing technology better accessible for, yeah, for the, let's say, more, more broad spectrum of event-driven applications. Right. And so that was, that was kind of the original thinking. What it turned out then in the end is, it is a, it's a bit of a vehicle for us to try to to change two fundamental assumptions that are pretty baked into stream processing, not only in Flink, but that, that didn't, that don't always have to be like that, in in my opinion. And it's it's a project where we're trying, where, what what does it what happens actually if you try to relax those two assumptions? Yeah, the first one being that stream processing is this predefined data flow graph, this this DAG that basically is is the yeah the, the in Storm you call it the topology in Flink you call it the um, the job graph and I don't actually know what Kafka Streams or Spark call it but they they all have the same same uh, idea of this directed acyclic graph that represents the data flow mm-hmm. um, to some extent. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of good reasons to do that. It, it kind of, you know, defines a documented flow of the data. The acyclic nature is actually really important for, for A simple watermark model and so on but it it also sometimes gets in the way and i think it gets especially in the way once you start to to develop these these use cases that are more like dynamic event-driven services so we we wanted to actually look at like explore an api that is that's a lot more dynamic no predefined dag more dynamic messaging also Think of it as being able for two parallel instances of a process function to to talk to each other, not just like send events downstream, but send events right, right. and left as well. So that, that that was one part. That was basically stateful functions 1.0. Um, when when we developed that, we tried to to relax that that restriction. And the yeah the it it bears a lot of similarities then to to actors because that's that's a powerful model for event driven microservices and. Um, yeah. At the same time, it adds quite a bit on top, namely this like uh, very powerful state maintenance or, or general like powerful state consistency and, and tools around dealing with state that stream processing and Flink in particular offers. And do you see that as kind
2: of colliding with with uh, Lambda from AWS? Is it is? Tell me about the overlap there.
1: Yeah. So in I would say in this, the first version of Safeful functions didn't really have much overlap or even much. Yeah. Much intersection with that. It was stateful. Right. Unlike Lambda, but it was right. not very dynamic. Unlike I Lambda. See. Right. <laughs> so it's okay. Got it. Exactly. The, the, almost the exact opposite of it. The, the interesting part came then with, I think with stateful function 2.0, which was where the thought was, okay, let's try to relax this compute and state co-location, which is or f- like physically co-locating that, putting that in the same process, which is been one of the like absolutely core core ideas of stream processing and yeah it's it's basically the reason why stream processing is is consistent you have this you have state co-located with compute you have this single writer abstraction you know all state updates go strictly together with the computation on that particular bit of state that particular key and so on and because they're both in the same process in some cases they're just like an, an embedded in memory hash table that, that's also how you get really high performance but of course this comes at a price and the price is that you now have to you have, now have to manage both of them together and like like state isn't i think state is per, per definition not very elastic yeah. you you sometimes don't see this if the state is in the database but that database per se isn't is not terribly elastic it's much much harder to make that elastic than let's say a compute layer and, and yeah. lambda is, a, is an is a perfect example of an extremely well built, very elastic state layer. So, what we thought is, can we actually try to relax that that assumption that they they strictly have to be in the in the same process and and just make just play together with these technologies like lambda that have built this like highly elastic um, compute layer also with with really cool operational features and, and that's what stateful function two to is basically it's a, it's an approach to to kind of disaggregate the stream processor into a to a stateless super elastic compute part and a stateful less elastic yeah storage part
2: And in in production implementation, in your mind, is that, you know, Kubernetes and containers are really a big part of that now. It sounds like that it's really designed to have sort of that super distributed microservice-y kind of feel to it. Is that true? Is that kind of where your guys' heads are at in terms of like deployment and and production
1: readiness Mm -hmm. and...
2: How someone would kind of actually use it in real life? Stateful functions in real life.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think there are different ways to to do that. I mean, one one way is definitely, I mean, deploy it for example on something like uh, like EKS. Deploy the flink part on something mm-hmm. like EKS right. on that container engine, and run your computer on Lambda, and then you know you don't have to manage much yourself. Right. Um, if you want to like on the Kubernetes side, yeah, you you would. Build different deployments for for the for the flink processes that own the state, which basically replace the database processes in this case, and then yeah, maybe different deployments for for the different services. You can you can think of this as um as as a way to go super microservicey, but I actually kind of have a slightly different philosophy in 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 my head there. I think it's actually an interesting way to get out of the microservice hell, to be honest, <laughs> because I think there's there's a uh, yeah there's an you, you can get into a tricky situation if you overdo it with microservices, and I think this is a sentiment that it's right. bit by bit right. getting realized. Right, I, I think microservices have reached the, the across the peak of the hype, hype cycle, and there's a lot of folks these days talking also about how like very microservice infrastructure gets completely unwieldy over time. Everything's there's, a think,
2: snowflake. Everything's a unique snowflake with its own runbook, right? Like it's a, <laughs> impossible,
1: yeah, like that. right? Yeah yeah i think this this state for function business is actually an interesting piece in the middle because you don't you don't have things that are that are completely decoupled um so that you have to completely manage them independently and you have to worry about like all these like different protocols and assumptions and if something happens then it's like a it's a big big effort tracing what happens where but there's there's like a more there's a more coherent ph- philosophy um and and model between how these different these different functions from different modules interact with each other. But at the same time, it's, it's still quite, quite dynamic and it's still, it's still quite, quite good at, at separating different parts. So you can, you know, different teams can write and deploy different right. models and so on. So it's, I think it's an interesting, an, an interesting player trying to find. I do too. Find something between the, the, the distributed monolith and the microservices, something that, you know, can like actually kind
2: of help, help a, a semi-standard, semi-standardized, uh, discrete data processor, to me, you know, if you wanted to frame it that way, at least that's how it is in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, has interesting has interesting ramifications, especially for things like you know ML, right? Like you know, being able to deploy a kind of a standardized because that, you know, that vertical, the data science vertical, is hurting in a lot of ways um, around standardization and productionalization and things like that. Do you guys have machine learning use cases in your head? For stateful functions, is that an, uh, an area you think is a kind of a match made in heaven, or what, where's your head at there? What's, what are your thoughts there?
1: I think this is one of the one of the use cases where where, where it's a pretty good start. Uh, where yeah, I think where it can bring something to the to the table the the demo we we showed it fling forward for example was was, was yeah. exactly around that use case it's, it's not not on the machine learning training side i mean the um right. the training side very much yeah i think for that you do want different abstractions you do want more like high level pipelines apis and so on right. but i think where this is actually quite quite powerful and and where we see a lot of good use is is the the side of serving and applying the model then where an event comes in, you need to enrich the event uh, with different different statistics. You also want to update your your distributed statistics based on based on that particular event. You want to pull certain certain aggregates together to form a feature vector. Um, then you want to actually pipe it through one or more models, which typically reside after or behind different services and so on. And then right. um, and compute output based on that. I think for for that it for that it's actually really convenient. Yeah, I could see that for sure. Interesting. Yeah. It, I think one, one part that, that, that adds to that is um, something I didn't mention before. Yeah, I mean, this disaggregated architecture, what it actually gives you inherently is this, this multi-language portability, right? If As soon as a state and computers doesn't run in the same process anymore, but they talk through a standardized protocol, then, then you can pretty much use it with any language you want. It's the same thing as, you know, nobody ever talked about MySQL being multi-language or so, right? It's, <laughs> but you, can, you can talk SQL to it from Python, from Go, from Java, right. from... From whatever you right. want, and, and that's the same. That's the same philosophy we we're actually looking for in, in stateful functions. So, yeah, the SDKs that we're building are really more meant as like as, as easy helpers or client libraries. I don't know JDBC driver libraries rather than something big and complex that that is an absolute must-have for every language.
2: Yeah, yeah, that makes tons of sense.
0: So, talk to me a little bit about, and I always ask this, and I always. I always love the answers I get. But what is it that you are looking forward to next? Like what knowing what's coming up with Flink, knowing what you guys have with stateful functions, or even knowing what other technologies are out there? Like we we've talked about Beam on the podcast. We've talked, you know, we've mm-hmm. talked about a lot of different things out there. What, Stefan, is it that you are excited about that is either you know is coming down the pipe or is A future state that you were just like we've we've got to get there i'm really excited to get to that point
1: Uh, there's there's a few things i mean in some sense when when we started out with with flink and we started adopting these concepts from from the data flow model i always had it in my head that wouldn't it be cool to actually build like a truly unified system there that has this unified batch streaming api it has this really strong streaming runtime and at the same time a really competitive batch runtime we had all these ideas how to how to do that i think still to that day there's not a system out there that really does it right there's some systems that that go for unified apis like beam but they do need different systems underneath the underneath the hood, right? I think even if you run Beam right. on Google Cloud, you actually have different systems for batch and streaming. I think there's no open real stream processor that can actually do the like the critical streaming stuff that's also really good batch processor. I always had that in my head that, that would be cool to actually build that, and I think we're getting damn close to doing that. The streaming side is... Is actually I, th- I think has gotten very strong there are a few things still to do actually I'm, I'm very excited that we finally get unaligned checkpoints in there it was one of the last Achilles' heels that i wanted to solve in flink mm-hmm. I get rid of there's been a lot of work to to actually do the do the runtime such that it it can it can really excel at batch processing as well this the sql side is um has has actually proposed a really great unified model there's there's actually more work coming up in in even trying to to have gradual semantics between batch and streaming. Like you don't choose whether this is streaming SQL or batch SQL. Right. I basically say this is a SQL query and I'm only Run telling it. you how, how am I interested in my results. Do I want results all at the end? Do I want results incrementally, record by record? Do I want results every 10 minutes? Do I want results at watermark and so on? Right. Um, and on the on the data stream api we're we're also finally starting to actually to actually change it such that we can get rid of the data stream API and I hope that by the end of the year we'll actually have gone to a point where we can say like this this vision that we set out for maybe five years ago we've actually we fi- we finally made it this is now a a system that has really achieved that it has on the SqL layer and on the data stream api layer it's it's it has true batch streaming unification the engine underneath the hood is on the streaming side, very efficient, resilient, low latency, it, it achieves basically best in class streaming. And at the same time, it's actually competitive on the batch side. So right. yeah, it's, 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 getting, it's getting within reach that goal. And that, that's you know, getting really excited.
2: And that's, yeah, that's, um, that's an interesting one that you brought up because I think that the more we go forward into this as data practitioners, the more batch and streaming come together. I think early on it was oh streaming's completely different yeah but uh it's not right 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 but now we start to see that you know streaming is made stronger by being able to maybe enrich something with a static data source or you know in real life people probably should stream something but you know it's in a database because that's just the way the project was implemented for now or you know maybe it's a continuum of going from batch to streaming and you know that yeah they want to stream the data you know from kafka you know or something like this um, you know, Pulsar or something later on. But right now, hey, it's in a database. Can I still make use of Flink? Can we still build, you know, build our systems on it? And the answer is like, yes, you can. And I think that's, that's been one of the things that maybe if there was something that Flink didn't, you know, tout enough or, or you know, put more marketing dollars or energy around, it would have been like, hey, you can do batch and streaming. And that's a really big deal.
1: Yeah, that that that's actually true. These things actually, yeah, they they go together more and more the longer you actually actually work with them. And it's it's a it's a big deal also for um, not just because it's like beautiful from the technology perspective, but like building your building your ML feature pipeline once and then being able to run this over over your historic data using the exact same thing for your uh, near line pipeline. It's right. it's it's extremely right. it's extremely powerful doesn't only save you tons of time, also makes actually sure that both things do the same, which is much harder to achieve in practice than it sounds initially. That definitely is a that definitely is a is a big deal. I I agree.
0: Well Stefan, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been, as we've said, a fantastic conversation. We obviously are huge fans of Flink. Yeah, our listeners are huge yeah, our listeners are huge fans right. of Flink. We are loving getting because like I said, we've and at this point we've talked to martone we've talked to max mckels we've and now you and we've had this really great kind of history lesson behind flames and this has been, this has been sure. really awesome that's it's been sure. fantastic so thank you so much for joining us we appreciate it
1: yeah thanks for for having me it was uh this an interesting uh, trip down memory lane or how do you say it, <laughs> that's, it. <laughs> that's exactly you got it. right yeah, yeah you got it all right cool. <laughs> all right thank you so much
0: Big thanks to Stefan for joining us today, and we can't wait to have him back on the show to talk about Flink, Stateful Functions, and all the other great things this community has going on. Which, if you're interested in learning more about Stateful Functions, check out Stefan's most recent keynote at the Spring Flink Forward on YouTube. It's a great talk. Really, all the talks at Flink Forward are fantastic. And the call for papers for this fall's event ends June 28th, so don't forget to get your session proposals in. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about Aventador, you can find us at aventador.io or get started today with a 14-day free trial at aventador.cloud/register. Happy streaming.